Hello, this is Parks Miller. And I'm Ryan Lichten. Together in the flesh, culture dumps. Yeah. This is a very special occasion. Get to do it maybe once or two times a year. Come out to LA, visit Ryan on the West Coast and record live in person in the studio. And yesterday we had our first live show, which was great. It was at Whammy Analog Media and uh, we killed we did, yeah. we, we did we did very good. Uh, it was really awesome. It was I'm, a uh, night. I'm glad you're leading this episode. Because <laughs> I'm fucking toast. Uh, but yeah, we, we had a really nice show at Whammy Analog Media. We had Bill Conway from The Hard Times. We had Brett Berg from the Museum, Museum of, of Home, Home Video. Video. We had Adam Papagan, who is... I mean, essentially, he's, he's his own... His own oh, entity. He's his own, his own he's brand his own of uh, entertainer. He showed all the clips of... Uh, all of his appearances that he made on court TV shows. Uh, it's kind of fascinating how all that shit works yeah. uh, or doesn't work. Um, uh, and all those, all those folks have, uh, you know, guested on culture dumps. And then we also had an amazing, uh, like one off run collaboration shirt with, uh, Eric from meth syndicate. Who's also been a guest most recently, just with the Popeye's chicken sandwich episode. Right. And, uh, I, by the time this episode comes out, there might still be some of those culture dump shirts available. Uh, I know he's got, got like a, you know, a, a dozen of, of each design left over. So you can find that at meth syndicate.com. Um, and yeah, as you know, the show went really well. And, uh, one thing is we didn't record it cause it's a damn yeah. live show. We didn't record um, it. Yeah. So well, we didn't even fucking film it. I blew it. No, no. I, I feel like it's intentional. I, I want to. Keep them two separate entities, and we got to you know utilize the visual medium, and I think it yeah, went you really guys well. missed and out, but they, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know if 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 people are wanting more shows, like let us know uh, because absolutely we would love to do more. Um, but yeah, it was it was a great time, and thanks to everyone come out, and yeah, here we are. Yeah, Culture this, dumps. this is a dump that people have definitely asked about. We've been sitting on it for a while. Thank you to research assistant Mel for uh, putting some of these notes together. But I know that you really went ham on the yes. research for this. I got, I got really into the subject, Shanae O'Connor. Uh, and I also want to mention a couple sources that I utilize. There is a podcast called Cancelled. <laughs> and they did an episode about her. Um, and then I also listened to the audiobook version of her 2021 autobiography, Rememberings. Did she read so it herself? She read it herself uh, in her voice and highly recommend the book. Uh, I am in the process of researching Sinead O'Connor. I, I'm a Sinead head. Yeah, as as the community calls ourselves, is that uh, they don't call themselves that? <laughs> uh, but no, actually, I was I was a fan of her music before the dump, but she totally is a dump. Uh, and so let's just let's just get into it. A little brief introduction: uh, Who is Sinead O'Connor? Sinead O'Connor is an Irish singer songwriter whose career took le- whose career quickly took off after her debut in 1987. Her debut album, The Lion and the Cobra, showcased a powerful singer with equally intense songs of political protest and personal strife. She became part of a wave of influential artists in the early 90s. Critical acclaim for her music is matched only with the numerous controversies surrounding her political and personal life. Now, why is she a dumb? 
1990, Sinead O'Connor released the hit single, Nothing Compares to You, a cover of a Prince song that was named number one world single in 1990 by Billboard Music Awards. She became an overnight sensation. She was huge. Well, it has a lot to do. I mean, first of all, the song is beautiful uh, and like an absolute classic, but... Uh, her appearance she had a shaved head you know that wasn't common and yeah. the music video uh, unintentionally really highlights that it <laughs> like does. it's just like a zoom in on this pale faced chick uh, wearing a turtleneck so like all you're seeing is bald head yeah she she was definitely like an indie darling and she had a shaved head at a time which it wasn't very typical for women to have shaved heads she you know a lot of what she did was like a statement, like a pretty personal or political statement. And it, you know, that uncompromising nature, I think is what kind of led her to be such an influential and iconic voice in the nineties. But then you have this sort of dumb moment where she's essentially being known as a huge mainstream household name for covering a Prince song, which is essentially a love song. Now it gets a little more complicated than that, but to like a large mainstream audience, it's like here. Okay. Yeah. She looks a little weird with the shaved head. But here's this. She's person. also very pretty, though. She's very, she's very conventionally attractive, um, and yeah, basically, it's it's a pop song, and so she kind of had this moment of being like a pop icon, but that's not really what she is. She's essentially like a protest singer and a pretty radical one at heart, and that kind of gets us to the other sort of most dump worthy moment which is in october 92 her infamous snl performance in which she tore up a picture of pope john paul ii and this created so much controversy that many considered it a career ruining moment we're of course going to get way into this but these are definitely this the two actually, things you would um, know about her th this is one of those moments like again we, we bring it up all the fucking time but this was on vh1's 100 most shocking moments yes in rock and roll and it's kind of silly because like now making fun of like the catholic church is like that's like just fodder you know what i mean like everyone does that yeah you know and way more intense like to, to rip up a picture of the pope no one would give a fuck yeah now. absolutely yeah so and we're gonna get we're gonna get all deeper into all that stuff um but yeah you could say that between the snl controversy and the way that that negatively affected her career and the fact that she never had a single nearly reached the popularity of nothing compares to you in some ways she could be considered a one-hit wonder uh but she's anything from that and that's kind of why she is a perfect dump. She is still greatly respected a bunch amongst her like musical peers and is still basically like revered in her native Ireland. Oh, absolutely. Um, when, I, when I was in Ireland recently on a family vacation that you can hear all about on our Patreon because uh, it was an epic journey to say the least. But yeah, no, they talk about Sinead O'Connor like people talk about fucking uh, you just name any like share even you know what i mean like, like just like an icon yeah like, like, like a powerhouse female vocalist uh still very very much respected over there in america when you talk about her you're thinking about nothing compares to you you're thinking about With snl, SNL. and are, then yeah. the kind of weirder stuff that happened later in her yeah, life maybe maybe if you a little more on that pop culture like ooh, because there's some other things that happen that are very noteworthy very dump worthy um but yeah i also just thought that there was a lot of sort of dump interwoven connectivity with her, like six degrees of dumpy bacon yeah. or something. <laughs> uh, dumpy bacon. That's what they used to call like me in school. Like you said, uh, yeah, the Pope moment was a huge uh, shocking rock moment, which we've talked about numerous times as being like something that both Ryan and I watched and obviously was influenced by. And here we are now. Um, you can say that some of her sound was sort of 
influential with like the pure moods Enya style, which oh, is definitely. another thing we've talked about. She also performed at Lilith Fair, so bada boom, there's another dump. Uh, and then obviously she has a connection with Prince in the '90s, which is um, sort of butts up against our artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah, uh, and there is a crazy Prince story in this story that I think kind of points to that more irrational sort of bizarre Prince story that you would hear a lot more in the nineties. Um, and then she had a controversial moment akin to like Janet Jackson. Um, she was famous for a cover like William hung. God damn. And, <laughs> Just like William hung. Uh, yes. Sinead O'Connor and William and hung. Then, two peas in a dump pod. She collaborated with Wyclef Jean. So that's a Woodstock 99. Oh throwback. my God. Yeah. No, um, she is. This is a real culture dump right it's here. It's a real culture dump. So, so yeah, let's get into it. Um, so yeah, I want to just say I did a lot of this reading her or listening to her autobiography uh, got a lot of sort of background on her childhood, which I think is very important to the story. Uh, she was raised in Ireland, fully Irish, and by all accounts had sort of like a horribly abusive mother who, you know, there's a lot of Catholic guilt going on here. Sure. And uh, she talks about how her mother... Like the school, she, her mother would beat her routinely uh, all the time. She was very afraid. She said that like they would play hockey and they would always try to hide their hockey sticks uh, because they were like, they knew that her mom was going to use it to beat her with. So they That's wouldn't fucking they, insane. They like, wouldn't play hockey all season, which is, I guess, what all the other kids did just because they would intentionally try to lose their hockey sticks. Um, so anyway, very, she was a God. Very, very violent. Also, woman. though, I mean, let me just say this, like. Okay, hiding your hockey sticks, like, I get it. But, like, if you want to beat a kid with something, like, it's not hard to find something to hit a kid with. Like, True. I, like, <laughs> but and, and unless the hockey stick was, like, a, a specialty or something. Right, and, and, it, and she still did say that there was just numerous times where, yeah, her mother did beat her and her siblings. Um, and also, she was just kind of surrounded by this really intense Irish Catholic guilt. Uh, she tells a story about how the teachers at her school would tell a story about like a little boy who would like died in like it's hard recording with parks dude because like now like i can like look him in the eye across the table and like we like, i can't keep it together but and this but, isn't funny but anyway, like why so, am i laughing but <laughs> it was the story about how this little boy like died because he like went to hell for like masturbating or something mm. and then like see you there bud later like uh there was like a fire in the house where the boy died and like you could hear in the flames like the boy screaming like help me help me let me out so like basically saying that like jesus this, just Christ. telling these crazy stories of like the spirits of young sinful boys who are still like screaming out of the flames of hell uh because they've been just suffering and because he jerked off which is just not something i heard as a kid uh and so i think that that would have like I did a little church, but it wasn't ever presented to that. Oh like hell that no, itself. no! I I went to um like after school programs like at the at the church. I was raised Catholic, um but you know the masturbating thing that was never anything. Like my dad would always say, if you don't masturbate, you'll die <laughs> uh, <laughs> because you'll explode. He called right. it he called it what what he called it the the dreaded dreaded something buildup. But oh, uh, yeah, so but it was very very opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, so and she she kind of just became like sort of like a rebellious like punk, you know, just like loved all of like the punk scene happening in the 80s in the UK. 
Uh, Ireland seemed like a pretty rough place to grow up. Um, there's a lot of crazy shit there. Well, there was so much terrorism happening, like because of the dispute with you know England and all that, and like the IRA and car bombings and things like that. So I mean, it was a uh, like for lack of a better term, it was a very punk rock place to be. There was a lot of turmoil happening totally. during all this time. I mean, and it's I feel like I was like starting to get into just regular history, like learning a bit more about this really tense relationship, like that, like. Britain has with Ireland. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Ireland was essentially under British rule for a long time. Uh, so we're going to even talk about the potato famine here in a bit. Oh, man, um, dude. But, but, this is like when we talked about Balloon Fest and I went back to like AD. Like yeah. Shit, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's just, I don't know. Part of, I really liked her book because she really describes her childhood, even with all this kind of really intense stuff. I feel like she has a wonderful voice. Like, again, I'm a Shanette head. I'm like a fan. Yeah, now. you're a sin head. I'm a sin head. You're a sinner. Um, so she just like from this time just sort of pretty quickly start like learn to sing and i feel like the trajectory was pretty quick like people just heard her voice and were like damn yeah she's got something she has this very like powerful distinct voice and to me it definitely makes sense that she got so popular because it has it's very much that like 90s alternative like the loud like uh i mean she's it's kind of like bjork a little bit yeah i would uh, say so or even like riot girl but it's kind of like this was this era where you had artists like that and courtney love people who were just like they were women who were kinda like i'm like i'm a fiercely uncompromising woman like that's like and yeah. i'm not gonna do exactly a nasty woman <laughs> yeah exactly so like that's kind of her that's kind of her thing from the get-go. Also, I mean, it's interesting because Ireland has this, like... I mean, well, no, I wouldn't say tradition, but, like, there is this thing where the people that were into punk rock in Ireland end up becoming these, like, major stars, like a Sinead O'Connor or a U2, where their music is not, like, the stuff that they were influenced by. It that completely transcends that. But, like, it, it, I don't know. It, it's just an interesting thing that, like, these people that were part of the punk scene in Ireland become, like, the biggest pop stars that ever. Yeah, and it's it, she doesn't really talk too much about her career, but it really feels like, you know, she started to make demos when she was like, you know, 15, 16, singing on the street. And like I said, like, again, pretty quickly, people started to recognize her talent. And I mean, I think she was like 19 when her debut album, The Lion and the Cobra, came out. Um, also interesting, she was pregnant uh, recording that first album. Oh, wow. Um, she, like, I feel like that was another part of this um, controversy or like sort of even though people liked her talent, there was always something about like, well, can't you just do it like this? Like if you just like, like she made the decision to shave her head very early on because basically the record labels were like, now you can't tell her anything. Like, we need you to like look a little more feminine, be a little bit more of like a pretty girl. And so her response to that was to shave her head. Right. Um, and she was also pregnant. Recording Are there pictures her of her with like long hair? Uh, yeah, I think there are pictures, um, and she, <laughs> she I, I know, and also, like, about, it's not uh, lost on me that we're, like, two dudes talking about, like, the, uh, you know, the phenomenon of a woman shaving her head, like, I, I know we're harping on that, but it, it, it really is a, a focal point to her entire legacy. Right, and, and, like, women had done it before, there's actually been a long history of, you know, women shaving their heads in, you know, actually hundreds of years before but again it still was something that just 
it it wasn't super commonly seen. No, not at, at all. The time uh, for someone who's about to get as popular as she was, um, and yeah, she was also pregnant recording her first album, and so there was also pressure from the label, like saying like you should like get an abortion or like Jesus you know Christ. just kind of like she's just kind of always had this sense of you know a struggle about her um but that first album the line in the cobra uh, i think is an amazing album i think it's incredible and like i was oh actually, you told everyone about <laughs> it last night this bud is, this, is, this has been the theme of me being here is, uh, <laughs> just trying to push shanae o'connor uh on people uh because i just <laughs> uh but yeah i just think she's really she's just really uh, she's fabulous. very very good i actually had um the nothing compares to you single on cassette in my first car I had a tape player and uh the b side on it was like amazing you know yeah. like, all of her other songs are so yeah. killer but again yeah she's kind of got a one hit wonder thing going on uh just because that one song was so huge mm hmm it's not that the other stuff wasn't popular. It's just that one song was so much bigger than the other rest. Right. Um, and yeah, even on that album, like they, you know, you can already see some of her like pretty outspoken political beliefs. There's a song, Jerusalem, where she's talking about Israel and Palestine and that war. And then she kind of like vocally uh, came out in support of... Um, I think like the IRA, the Irish Republican Army. Yeah. Uh, briefly, she also later backtracked that and said she was like too young to understand that situation in Northern Ireland. Um, but again, just trying to set like this is, it's part of the SNL shock is like it shouldn't be shocking. Is yeah. What I'm saying is yeah, that yeah, she yeah. was she was always kind of trying to be sort of like in her mind is like a protest singer, right? But ultimately, she's gonna have this brush with fame that's going to lead her to kind of the perspective the perspective of her is going to shift greatly. we should do a, a whole squirts just on like sh the controversial snl musical moments right there's quite a few of them like didn't like rage cuss or something no that was a that was a different thing but uh like i mean well, well there's famously the ashley simpson <laughs> yeah. lip syncing not, not the same but yeah. uh yeah. yeah there are a handful fear of playing on halloween um but basically this album not lying in the cobra 1987 to me it fits into what i like to call like the late 80s style where it's kind of moving away from a lot of the new wave trends and punk trends of the early 80s but it hasn't quite reached what we will call like alternative rock or grunge in the 90s. So it still really has its uh, foot firmly planted in each decade. But right, uh, yeah. I think like her, like artists like her and Bjork and Primal Scream are really good examples of this sort of turning point where all these artists that I just mentioned feel like they had a very big impact on the sound of the 90s. Uh, especially in the early 90s. Right. Well, and actually, I, I'm, I'm going through um, Mel's uh, little outline here. And before the album came out, um, it was what in yeah 19, like 84, I think it was. She actually did work with U2. Uh, she, yeah. she wrote a song with The Edge, you know. And uh, But then later, like, like just totally criticized U2. <laughs> like, fucking was, you know, said that they're whack and blah, blah, blah. They're not doing enough. Yeah. yeah. I, I think because uh, their song, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, like, yeah. They never explicitly said that it was about the civil unrest in Ireland. 
And so I think it was something to do with that where she was like, it, like, like if you're gonna do it, like have the balls it, to say what you're it. talking yeah, about. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, then in, uh, she's at this point pretty, she's pretty big, but like again, I would say more of like an indie darling, and it's kind of like oh, this is like a cool new artist on the scene. So I would say like moderate success, but still like very good for a first album. Again, I think there's a lot of just like undeniable talent. And so it seems like you're going places, kid. Yeah. <laughs> Even just, and, and again, like I think stuff like the shaved head really paid off, like because it essentially made her more distinct, and people were really attracted to the fact that like she's like, no, I'm going to do whatever I want, you know, not what you want, not what the man wants. Well, yeah, and literally. also, like, you know, the shaved head kind of punk rock thing that didn't that wasn't reflected in her music i mean lyrically yes but like she had a very beautiful angelic voice you yes. know and so it was this weird kind of contradiction between like a harsh kind of like rough around the edges image with like the voice of an angel true though i will say she can also get pretty like intense rat like a, a pretty crazy growl uh i think she, uh, we gotta hear it she <laughs> I don't know if it's a growl, dude. All right, <laughs> like it's powerful. It's powerful. Okay, yeah. Well, no, I, I, absolutely. She's a powerhouse, dude. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. A growl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too big of a fan. I'm not partial. This is not. Uh, this is this is biased journalism going yeah. on right here. Um, but yeah. So then her her second album uh, is where she really starts to blow up and we're about to really enter into the dump era uh her second album i do not want what i haven't got i feel like that was also kind of like a 90s trend to have like very long wordy album well remember the fiona apple the fiona apple one where it's like it took up whole fucking album cover to fit the title it's a very long title yeah um but this album really got her into a much larger like mainstream sphere of success and that was largely in part to the breakthrough hit single, Nothing Compares to You. That was written by Prince, as we mentioned before. Now, this song, I really feel like everyone has heard. But just in case, let's put a little yeah, clip just, of just it. Yeah, just for posterity. I can eat my dinner in a fancy restaurant. But nothing, I said nothing can take away. Uh, it is, it's great. I mean, like, yeah. it's, it, and again, it's a shame that everything kind of happened for her the way that it did, but really with Sinead O'Connor, things couldn't have gone any other way, you know, but yeah. at least you had this moment. 
This and this song, you know, you you also have that the it's been thirteen hours Ooh. and the counting is kind of like that rent song where you're like giving specific. Something, yeah, yeah I, I'm like, not gonna do it, but yeah, something <laughs> very specific yeah. uh, units of time. Uh, right. Yeah. Feels like it kind of like it showcases the uh, the longing, I guess, of like being like, well, I'm obsessively counting the days since we haven't been together. Uh, also, a song written by Prince. Prince have a history of writing some massive, successful songs for other artists, like "I Feel for You," "Chocolate Con," and "Manic Monday" by The Pretenders. So this is no exception there. Um, but what's interesting about the song is that, on one hand, if you think about it from a Prince perspective, it definitely sounds like a love song, like a breakup song. Nothing compares to you. But she actually chose to interpret it with her mother in mind, who, again, was horribly abusive to her, but it's someone that she consistently would always That actually defend. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, because, like, I mean, I can totally see the breakup. I mean, of course, that's what I thought, you know, but, uh, like, when she's like, I can eat my dinner in a fancy restaurant, I can do whatever I want, like, yeah. blah, 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 like, that totally works for getting back and, like, kind of talking about a parent. Yeah, like, ha like having the independence, like, it, it was... It was someone that she seemed to have had some of this Catholic mentality rub off on where she, for all of the abuse that her mother gave, she was always feeling like she could forgive her mother. Um, the other thing that happened is that her mom died in a car accident when she was 18. So it was kind of like a tumultuous, intense, complicated relationship her whole life. And then she died. So I feel like maybe at that point she's kind of giving, allowing for some bit of forgiveness or just it was still just like yeah a tragedy she's, she's just that her dealing with it yeah died in a car accident and um actually you know like you mentioned there's this really famous music video uh that i think that i feel like the music video is also what really made this song like this is one of those classic early mtv music videos where the video added something to it and i think truly propelled the success of the song to well because she looks like height. she's about to start crying yeah you know it's like it's like super real i think and doesn't she cry like she cries just, probably just a little bit like a just, tiny, just enough a tiny tear and a like, fucking 700 pound tear we love those 700 pound tears and according to her in the book it's because she started thinking about her mom at this very crucial moment she says she started crying. She thought she ruined the shoot that day because she cried. And obviously the rest is history. It becomes this super iconic music video. Yeah. I can just picture like the super like shitty dudes working on the crew. And they're like, she starts crying. They're like, oh, here we go. Oh, you <laughs> God <blew> damn it. <laughs> well, I think that's also what's interesting in, is that she, even though she presented this intense image with the shaved head, uh, she was actually like a very self-conscious person. Uh, I, I think we can both say that she is objectively very pretty, but she always considered herself to be very ugly and never really had a high Well, like, that wasn't her thing, you know, you know what I mean? So it's interesting because she does kind of, she seems to be pretty rife with like a lot of self-consciousness uh, in, in this period. Yeah, uh, so there's you, a lot going on with her for sure. So you also kind of have sort of a classic recipe uh, for overnight success where you have this kind of undeniable talent, very young, and then suddenly they're thrust into like huge uh, superstardom. 
which also doesn't really allow for political activism in the way that she wanted to, you know, right portray herself and 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 and, you know get into and like use her voice for a a greater good that kind of gets you know halted up a little bit when like the bigger you get yeah and you know at this point she's kind of acknowledging that i mean yes she's really successful but it's very alienating like like in her words she's like i'm just making a lot of men a lot of money Uh, because again this song was the billboard number one like top world single of 1990 so it was basically the biggest song of 1990 yeah um so it was so huge and with that like now she's being nominated for grammys and uh she actually won a grammy i believe for this album uh but she boycotted of course the uh the attending the grammys and let me let me make sure if she actually won um yeah, she won the award for Best Alternative Music Performance for Nothing Appears to You. Uh, she was nominated four times, uh, Record of the Year, Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, and Best Music Video. Uh, but she refused to accept the nominations and award because she said that the Grammys is just like a money-making machine, and it should be about the art, and it shouldn't be a competition uh, because competition makes other people feel lesser than. So I know Ryan's just barfing at all this. Uh, hippie, I'm just hippie. like, just fucking take the award. <laughs> God uh, damn it. And that's that was the opinion of a lot of people there. Like, who is this this brash this upstart? Bitch. Yeah, this bald ass <laughs> bitch who's just like ungrateful. <laughs> um also in that period in 1990 when she became super popular, uh, there was a performance in the United States of America, I think at like a festival or like maybe it was like a state fair or something where they were going to play the national anthem and she requested that they don't perform the national anthem before her performance. This got a lot of controversy as being like you ungrateful bitch. You don't love America. What the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, according to her book, she says she was tricked by the people, the organizers who said that they asked her, do you mind if we perform the national anthem? Do you have a preference? And she said, well, if, if you're, so kind as to ask me, I would say the preference is no. And then and I then got she, her. And then she says that immediately they turned around and were like, wow, can you believe it? She is refusing that we play the national anthem. Who knows you know, exactly yeah, what, happened. what happened. But um, I, I, I tend to believe her side of all this stuff, you know, because it just seemed like she was like put in a corner so many times yeah. you know like throughout her career with Absolutely. with shit like this like people were yeah laying out booby traps for her essentially i i could see that happening a 100% um and also one of the reactions to this is crazy uh frank sinatra oh. threatened to kick her in the ass so this is going to be... <laughs> That's a very Frank Sinatra thing. Like, I'm not going to kick your ass. This I'm going is, to uh, kick you in the ass. Unfortunately, not going to be the first time an Italian-American threatens violence. Or the last time he yeah. uh In a public way. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, oh, fuck. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but yeah, this... Uh, I think this... Uh, so this, this controversy with the anthem actually led to... Uh, people doing one of those like destroy the records demonstration, oh, right. which also kind of relates to disco demolition aa8 yeah um so there was like the whole thing where you bring your shanae records 
to this spot, and then we're going to like light them on fire and bulldoze them. You know, the funny thing about when that shit happens is people would go, like they did that to the Dixie Chicks too. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when they talked shit about George Bush or, or what have you, uh, or even the Beatles saying they're bigger than Christ. Like when that happens and there's like a radio thing where it's like, yeah, bring them, we're going to destroy them. Like people... <coughs> <coughs> People will go to the store and buy a record to, to bring to this shit. Yeah. So it like it only helps the artist really. And who's paying for the uh, the the steam shovel? I'm sure there was a volunteer. <laughs> He's like, oh fuck yeah! He, like just drives it to the event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 15 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm going to destroy the ball, bitches record. Yeah, come on. Um, but basically, so Sinead O'Connor. And her friend, they actually attended the, the that demolition. That probably fucked people's minds uh, up, dude. But she wore a wig. She had a bald head. So she wore a wig and she went incognito. But eventually some reporters caught it and noticed it. And it was in, like, I think, uh, LA Times. It'd be funny uh, if, like, her wearing a wig incognito, like, was just her wearing, like, a clown rainbow afro wig. <laughs> and she's like, no one will notice me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think she even so much as got an interview from like a TV anchor being like, what do you think of Sinead O'Connor? Um, <laughs> she's so, like, she's a bitch. Yeah. So again, no stranger to controversy. Um, but now we're going to get into the SNL, the infamous SNL performance. So even with this controversy with the national anthem or whatever, she's still like, she is huge. She is a huge, huge artist in the early 90s um and she's doing you know world tours all these performances uh she was also you know she did some songs with peter gabriel uh they even dated briefly that's weird yeah she actually in her book she talks about sleeping with like a lot of uh famous musicians like uh i mean peter peter gabriel's one of them uh she actually slept with um robbie shakespeare the legendary uh bass player like from sly and robbie oh okay like the reggae duo um wow she we're gonna get into that she she she's really into reggae <laughs> um, just so. when i thought i couldn't like her more <laughs> um but yeah so she uh is very popular at this time uh she performed with roger waters he did like a big one of those wall the wall performances with a bunch of uh guests she collaborated with elton john at this era um so she was really very big uh but then here comes 92 the snl performance this is like really where the dump kind of these are the two big moments you know and so she's supposed to perform on snl and she had originally rehearsed doing this acapella cover of a Bob Marley song, which again, I'm sure Ryan's loving that. Oh Uh, God. uh, The song is called war. Okay. And what she initially planned to do was pull up a picture of like a dead kid in like Africa (laughs) or something. Uh, basically knowing like that. Well, didn't she change some of the words to like, instead of uh, racism or something, she says child, child abuse. abuse. Yes. So she, her initial plan was it was going to be like an anti-war song. And then she was going to have this picture of like a dead child. And in her mind, she was like, everyone's going to love it. It's someone else's problem. Everyone's going to love when I hold up a picture of a dead kid, but but she's right. She's right. Like, because (laughs) 
because basically it's one of those things where it's like remember even here's another dump tie-in like live aid like sort of yeah. just like we've got to feed africa like there's you know that phrase they're starving children in africa like she was smart enough to know like that will play like this lane of sympathy and charity has kind of been paved over by live aid and if she holds up this picture it's kind of like it makes it real it's shocking but not too shocking it's kind of like when you see the animal shelter videos and <laughs> yeah. commercials you know yeah another time yeah Lilith Fair, sarah um, mclaughlin yeah so that was her plan so she had the camera she was like as the song ends I want you to zoom in really close on my face so that when I hold up the picture, the picture will basically be the only thing in the camera frame. But the whole time she knew that this was going to be a decoy and she was planning the Pope picture the whole time. So what's interesting about this picture of Pope John Paul II is that it was her mother's photo. And when her mom died, she went to her house to look at all of her belongings she left behind and she found this photo of the Pope. And so at the age of 18, she had planned to destroy this picture for many years because again, it was the church and it was also like a reminder of the abuse that her mother had gave her. So it was always like this planned moment. Like I'm going to destroy it, but I don't know when. And then I also love the idea it's, it's now, that she SNL. used a picture of like a dead child as the decoy. Like they're like, that's fine. Yeah, sure. And then she's like, little do they know. But like, right. But that's you know, I, but it's, it's like, like, it just goes to show you where, where, where society we was at at the time where like to fucking blast of, you know, a picture of a, of a dead kid and some horrible tragedy, you know, during one of the most popular, most watched shows, uh, but like that was your way in, so you could actually hold up a picture of the Pope and tear it up. Right, like and, that's crazy. And just knowing that, like, mm, they're probably not gonna like it if I do that, which is just wild to us because we, I feel like we're in such a different time where, like, in general, people, like, especially after all of those child abuse scandals, uh, I feel like we have a much different view of the Catholic Church. These yeah, days. definitely. But that is such a big part of it. Is basically she had heard in the news in the early 90s about these cover-ups from the catholic church of these child abuse scandals so she was hearing about this in the 90s right like this case didn't kind of blow open in a public way until like the mid 2000s well like i i mean I, I think people started paying closer attention after this because they're like wait what was that all about and then they yeah, yeah it starts it starts but it coming was out something that a lot now of it's just people, a regular part of the Catholic Church like story is like all this exactly. shit because it's continuing to this but day. You got to give her credit; like she was very way way ahead of the public consciousness. She did it before this. it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the performance happens. Uh, everything's going like planned. She is doing this um, acapella, Bob Marley. So it is. It's a very intense. I made Ryan watch it. Uh, and Brett uh, the other day, um, and and she changes some words to kind of be more centered around child abuse, and like at that pivotal moment, yeah. right? Like the song ends, and she rips the pope. She pulls out the picture of the pope, rips it up, and um, everyone's just like it's, quiet. It's like <laughs> dead silence, and that's the thing is like. When you, I really suggest watching the video because it's really weird to be like, you watch it and you're like, what was the big deal? Like, 
how could this yeah. have been such a big deal? But I guess really there was just a lot more public respect for the Catholic Church and the Pope at this time. And, I mean, SNL kind of has this tradition of being, you know, like it's like an American institution. Like you don't fuck around if you get to play on SNL. Yeah, and... SNL is generally always kind of, it's funny, it's entertainment, but they tend to like, yeah, sort of be promoting like a status quo kind of like very mainstream ideology. Yeah, you don't take advantage of that. You know, yeah. you, 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 you go up it, there, you sing your song you and that's play it. it straight. You've made it to SNL and it is your honor. It's like your privilege to be doing so. So don't fuck around. Yeah. Um, but she fucked around <laughs> and, and found she out. found out. <laughs> um, yeah. The uh, the backlash was almost like instantaneous. Uh, just people were losing it about it and just saying how how bad she was. Like, just you're terrible. Like, how dare you do this? People were so shocked. Um, Madonna criticized oh my her. God. Which is wild. That's like out Madonna's of control. Madonna's entire image up until this point was literally her name, Madonna. Yeah. And then sex it's like sexualizing the Catholic Church was like such a big part of her image and her own I think Madonna might have just been a little bit jealous because so. uh, that mid-90s Madonna era, not like uh, her best. You know, yeah. like, like, you're, like it's, you don't think of Madonna when you think of the 90s. So maybe that was like, yeah, she does suck. You, you know, <laughs> but I would never do that. Yeah. Yeah. Ray um, of light. But yeah, she made a, a statement to the effect of like, there's a lot of people who, you know, really respect and uh, worship the Pope. And so you should have you should find a different way to. Uh, yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Meanwhile, she did fucking. Um, uh, what, what's the what's I feel like she released her sex book. Like a couple well, years. oh, like a prayer though. Yeah. Like that was like you know she's like making out with like a black Jesus and like all kinds of shit and that like fucking flip. She lost a Pepsi deal over that, right? So it's it's pretty wild that like that particular artist Madonna uh, said something. Uh, something I found was the very next week at SNL, Joe Pesci hosted SNL, <laughs> and he actually found he took the pieces the ripped up pieces of the photo and he put it back together. God, dude. And just to show, and he's doing like, and like, I really like Joe Pesci as an actor, but seeing this was pretty rough. He's um, basically like, I'm going to stomp her out. He's basically like being a mafia guy, like being one but of threatening, like, like a this woman's yeah. character and being like, why I oughta. Yeah. And, and he actually says, he's like, I'd like to give her a smack. Yeah. So fuck. again, this is two, two guys who have just publicly threatened to beat her up. And like, no one talks about that. Imagine now if an actor was like, yeah, I want to fucking smack Lizzo or some yeah, shit. You like, know what I mean? Just one backhand. It's just like, one good one. Yeah. It's like, whoa. And so his whole bit is like, and he's trying to like, let it go. But he's obviously like, I'm making a statement here. Like, yeah, I'm, Gonna, uh, and then I think Madonna even uh, did a different performance where she ripped up a photo of um, Joey Buttafuoco. Oh man, now it's... that is a dump. A a <laughs> a nod to Sinead O'Connor ripping up a fucking picture of the Pope on SNL, but using a fucking Joey Buttafuoco. Goddamn, like that is a fucking dump and a half, dude. Yeah, and what was um. What was his deal? He well, first of all, he was on Celebrity Boxing and he fought China. 
uh, if right. you remember, and beat the shit out of her. Because China right. is a professional wrestler, not a fighter, and definitely not some fucking Long Island fucking schlub who's probably had a little experience hitting girls before. Uh, but he had an affair with like a teenager uh, who was, I think her name was Amy Fisher, and she was known as the Long Island Lolita. And she was so obsessed with this guy who, again, was like a fucking slob. And this like cute like teenage girl was like, you know, obsessed with him. So she went to his house and shot his wife in the head, but the wife lived. And right, right. yeah, it was like a whole fucking, a whole goddamn thing. Uh, and yeah, I guess Madonna did that in 93 when she had a turn performing in SNL. So like, <laughs> it's crazy how mad Madonna got about this. And again, especially if it was a little hypocritical given the also, amount of controversy. Just the length of time. Like it's, this has already been a year and people like, are still doing get my chance. And I guess in that sense, like this is really where the dumpage of like sort of it's it. This would be like a meme today right like if this happened today like this is like when kanye's like george you know, bush doesn't care about yeah, black people or, or anything else that he says or like or like <laughs> the taylor swift thing. i mean but this is maybe maybe more just entertainment related like the yeah. taylor swift not the yeah not the hitler stuff but the, uh, <laughs> i mean just the well, like, but beyonce it's has really fucked up that he said it but i'll say uh it is kind of entertaining <laughs> to see this yeah. guy just like burst into flames the way he has absolutely um and and yeah so shanae does have that like like i think this would honestly the pope ripping would have been a meme if it happened now yeah now um and so it's just it, it it's just also one of those things like it kind of really hit that moment like we said with the uh the rock's most shocking countdown on vh1 you know and then that's that thing where you kind of just really think about oh just this thing that happened yeah and you don't really look into it and so when we start to at as what we do at dumps like look into it it's like so she's talking about child sex abuse cover-ups in the catholic church again like she definitely has deserved some major like kudos for this because ultimately all of this stuff came out huge scandal in the media with the Catholic Church well, covering up these abuses. I mean, I'm, I'm looking up here, uh, like you said, the scandal was like instantaneous. Um, right after that happened, NBC, within the five minutes that that happened, 500 calls came in. Uh, that, or, yeah, it, well, and then they continued through the weekend. So even on Monday, there was 400 people that called in to complain yeah. to fucking SNL. And two weeks after that, she performed, the, the, or she was set to perform at this Madison Square Garden fucking concert. Uh, it's like a tribute to Bob Dylan mm -hmm. and she was booed off the stage and to get booed off a stage. First of all, it takes a lot of fucking booze, yeah. but to get booed off the stage at Madison square garden, that is a, a poundingly loud boo. It's, and I think it was Chris Christopherson. He, he hugs her and he yeah. says, don't let the mm -hmm. bastards get you down. Yeah. Um, yeah. She was going to uh, actually sing war again. The <laughs> Oh God. It's and like so lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's also wild. Uh, she she really looked up to Bob Dylan. That was one of her idols. So again, like even it didn't kill the momentum of her career. Like Bob Dylan still wanted to have her be a part of this, you know, anniversary tribute concert. Uh, but it's also ironic because Bob Dylan was also a guy known for his controversial yeah. political songs. But then you kind of feel like you're having a boomer moment here. Now it's 30 years later. And they're like, well, yeah, well, Bob Dylan's protest Fine, songs yeah. are good. 
but whatever she did, that's, that's not bad. okay. Yeah. And it's like, again, just wild to be like, because it's the Pope. And but, it's like, most people aren't even like, no one Catholic. gives a shit. But, uh, but most people, I mean, well, except for like the billions of There's people a, that are. I know. But but, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so she was actually, she was supposed to perform I Believe in You. But then the boos were so loud that she told the sound guy to turn her mic up and she started singing War, uh, which is really uh, fucking kind of punk rock. It's like, you're booing me because I did this thing. Well, now you're going to get to see it. Yeah. You know, that it's pretty badass. Absolutely. So she's, she's, uh, yeah, she's always just like very, very punk. Um, and at this point, uh, you could consider this to be the moment where the dump has occurred and then it's kind of like, she fades out. Um, she also, her follow-up album uh, to I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got uh, was this covers album. So she did a bunch of Because she's had such great luck doing covers. <laughs> uh, it's called Am I Not Your Girl? And it's all like old school, like just like old like show tunes and stuff. Weird. Um, which I think, again, was her attempt at being like, okay, SNL, that shit was fucking crazy. But like, also, I don't want, I didn't want to be as famous as I got. Like, doing that Prince song made her to be like a pop star. And she's like, I don't want to be a pop star. I'm like a protest singer. So, doing a bunch of random covers that like have not a lot of like personal yeah. statement to them was kind of her way of like also sort of telling people, like, fuck off. Yeah. Like, I kind of want to be less popular. <laughs> um, which uh, must be nice. <laughs> um, and at this point, uh, we're going to start to see an increase on her interest in reggae. Um, <laughs> oh, so in the book, she she says that she she hung out with like a lot of Rastafarians, like in Ireland and in the UK when she moved to the UK. Um, and she says that they loved her and that they were good friends and <laughs> she loves smoking weed with the Rastas. God um, damn. So again, <laughs> Oh, just the fucking bald protest singer in the nineties smoking weed with Rastafarians. And there's no place I'd want to be at less than in that moment. I'm, I'm hamming this up for Ryan because I know that I can see why it would be I, triggering, but I'm still... Reggae's fine. I I'm just don't like Sinead O'Connor liking reggae. I'm I'm a fan of her music, and I like when she does reggae, <laughs> even if it does come across as the most pure moods world music-ass reggae. Um, that being said, in 94, she released an album called Universal Mother. Um, so she's... <laughs> God damn it. Um, but this... This uh, had a really good cover of All Apologies, the Nirvana song. I oh, love yeah. that cover. Um, it also has a, a song, Thank You for Hearing Me, which was like a breakup song with Peter Gabriel because she s described their relationship at the time was that she had just become some weekend pussy, according <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> and she didn't like feeling Is that her that words. Way. That's what her words. That's how she felt the relationship was. Dude, you know what, though? Weekend Pussy, sick band name. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's dope. Uh, this this album, Universal Mother, also has. Wait for it, Ryan. Oh God! A rap song about oh, no. the the uh, the potato famine in Ireland. Whoa! <laughs> hey, all right, we gotta hear that. Yeah. There was no famine. See, Irish people were only allowed to eat potatoes. All of the other food, meat, fish, vegetables, was shipped out. Country under armed guard. 
We're we're we're, we're both uh, live together, and I can see Ryan's face. Oh uh, man! But um, here's the deal. It's, okay, again though, Sinead O'Connor's music, a lot of it has that dope fucking pure moodsy backbeats. Yeah. But then she had to take a dump on it with this fucking rap about the potato famine, which by the way, uh, it's, it wasn't called the potato famine because they didn't have any potatoes. That's all they had. Well, it's called the it's called that that's it's a misnomer. Like there was a blight that was going through so I, I started learning about the potato famine. <laughs> this. There was there was a blight. Well just listen to the song and apparently tell you everything you need that, to know. Uh, but I do think even as cringy as it might sound, she was right about the potato famine too. But basically <laughs> what was happening is that there was a blight that was severely it was ruining like huge amounts of potato crops in Ireland, which was very very poor at the time i'm gonna blank i think it's like the 1840s or 50s when this was happening um but there was something she can 100 percent relate to but what the fuck but it's about history it's about history that'd be like if i did a rap song about the dust bowl (laughs) people do it people do it but but it also relates to the really complicated relationship that Ireland and Britain have because what was happening is there was enough food to feed the Irish, but the good food was being sent to the British and the British uh, government at the time they were, I'm going to blank exactly on like what it was, but they had like a significant amount of control of Ireland. Yeah. At this time. No, yeah, yeah, for sure. And they're, when, they're when, essentially just going to starve them out when people were, like the British were also, they like hated Irish people, and there was like a ton of like racial prejudice, which is now interesting to yeah. say in context because it's like basically the Irish kind of moved to the U.S. and were like, "Oh, well, we used to be the shittiest people, but we see how you guys treat African Americans yeah, so, and slaves, so God. we're no longer the the lowest." Yeah, they were um, se- they were second to lowest. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but they basically the british like ignored the problem of this famine for a really long time and the uh population of ireland went from eight million to like six and a half million people in a matter of like 10 years god damn so anyway i i I really got into you know i don't blame you though hearing that song like we could have done a whole episode just on that song right it was just something I was like, whoa, this is just... They took away our money and our potatoes. <laughs> I, I'm going to say... Here's what I'm going to say. No, this is not really like a song that I'm going to go to too often. But it had <laughs> it's me... It's going to get some plays. It had me looking into some like Irish history and trying to like... I don't know. It, it took me there. It took me there. It got me dumping. So... Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and honestly... For the most part, I really love the Universal Mother album as well. As do I really dig her 97 uh, EP Gospel Oak. Uh, and then also in 2000, she released an album, Faith and Courage. I, I know you love these names. Uh, whatever. I don't even it's care anymore, moods. dude. It's, I don't even give a fuck about it anymore. It's groovy. It's groovy stuff. I want more rap, dude. I want her to make like a trap album. <laughs> Well, like, why, she, why isn't Sinead O'Connor playing her potato famine song at Rolling Loud? <laughs> she definitely per- played the potato famine song a lot. Um, <laughs> but but in, in on this album, uh, Faith and Courage, she does a song with Wyclef Jean, who she mm. says hit on her. Um, 
Also, the book's great because she just talks. Everyone about, just wanted a piece of Sinead. Everyone, she and she was really horny. Yeah. <laughs> um, so another really interesting thing about her is that she has four children with four different dads. No judging. No judging. And in fact, she said that one time when she was trying to cross the border with her family, uh, without like with four children who all had different last names. Oh my god! It's just like she's the, just kidnapping them. You know, yeah. The the German border agent was like extremely confused, and she finally just said. Listen, I was a bit of a slut. <laughs> so she's got a sense of humor. And, uh, your too. words, lady, not mine. Exactly. Yeah. Like she's pretty funny. Again, like the book. I really liked the book because I felt like it was just in her voice. And uh, I will say, like this two thousands album, like she collaborated with uh, Dave Stewart from uh, Eurythmics. She collaborated with Brian Eno. Uh, she collaborated. With uh, what's that producer Daniel Lenoir? I think. Mm. Anyway, I mean, it, it's she, cool because like, like she got so big that she could work with all of these other icons that are all like interesting icons. You know what I mean? Like guy from the Eurythmics, like that's fucking sick as fuck. You know what I mean? Like she was able to kind of pick and choose who she wanted to work with. Yeah, uh, through there and fuck them if she wanted. Apparently, sometimes yeah. yeah, but um, but yeah, she basically, I guess at this point. It's where, she, yeah, she's never really going to have anything near that, like, massive success. But she's kind of, like, create, starting to create, like, a diehard fan base at this point. Um, right. Well, and at, at the end of the 90s, like, you're talking now, like, 97, like, 98-ish. That's when Lilith Fair, start, yeah. like, you know, so starts to kind of formulate. And, like, women's music is, is coming back into vogue like it was in the 70s. We talked about that at length on our episode about the Lilith Fair. Um, and actually, our guest on that episode, Audra, she was going to be on this one if I was going to lead this episode. But you love Sinead O'Connor too much, so I fucking just <laughs> gave, gave this shit to you. But it's interesting because Audra actually, you know, she's a singer. She does, you know, pretty well out here. In LA, she has a shaved head, and she actually has a new project just called Bald, and it's about the empowerment of shaving her head as a woman nice. and like stuff. And it's all based like you know, Sinead O'Connor really has this lasting impact. And while she wasn't the pop star that she was during Nothing Compares to You, she was respected in a different way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I want to say that she performed at the '97 Lilith Fair. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, again, I think at this point it would be. Probably in the public eye, it's it kind of makes me think of like that time that Bjork like attacked a reporter. And Welcome then, to Bangkok. And then between yeah. that, <laughs> between that, and then like a very famous SNL skit spoofing Bjork, I feel like for me it took me a long time to be, like those two things kind of created this persona of Bjork as this like crazy person. When she's, in fact, also an artist that I greatly oh, admire. for sure. Um, but, like, it's, again, so, because that Bjork reporter attack was also one of those fucking rock shocking whatever. Yep. Dude, I'm telling you guys, and um, VH1's 100 most shocking moments in rock and roll. But it you, doesn't get better than that. You do start to see the bias where it's just like... She was crazy. It's like, it must have been that time I'll of say, the month. I'll, <laughs> you know, like. uh, I'll say this. Fucking Sinead O'Connor ripping up the Pope. There was a message behind that. Absolutely. There, it was it was a plotted out thing, as we as we discussed, you know, and like there was a, a clear message and a performance to it. 
What happened with Bjork was she was getting off the fucking plane in Thailand and a reporter, it's like she's pushing her son. She looks fucking crazed, by the way, because she had just been flying all around the world. She's totally worn out. And uh, I mean, like, not the kind of lady you would approach, okay? But there's all these reporters there and one right. of them says, welcome to Bangkok. And then Bjork just beats the yeah. shit out of her. Yeah. And uh, the reporter, like, didn't even file charges. She ended up doing an interview with her like a couple days later and was like, I'm fine. I have a hard head. But... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna need one when those fists are flying. Yeah, those tiny Icelandic fists. Um, but yeah, so I think at this basically to say like there, I think there was a divide where like again like in a more of just like a cultural awareness, like maybe like oh that's Shanae, but she did really she did continue to I think in a lot of ways have the career she wanted. She actually says that the SNL incident was a blessing because it by allowing her to kind of be alienated she was like no i don't want to be like a super duper pop star yeah but uh, the irony to that though is like if only if she didn't do that and she continued to get bigger she would have gone to a point where she could do whatever she wanted you know she true. she just yeah kind of found a shortcut i guess yeah. um ironically though in 1994 uh, she appeared on A Celebration, the music of Pete Townsend and The Who. Oh, boy. And I'll let you figure out why that's ironic. Yeah. Uh, again, oh maybe... It, Child abuse. This was 94. Child abuse. <laughs> this was 94, so uh, the those shocking uh, Pete Townsend minor pedophilic associations hadn't Tendencies, been, yeah. hadn't been uh, made yet. Uh, but also, I'll say in 1999, British Prime Minister Tony Blair issued a formal apology for Britain's uh, role in the Irish potato famine. Oh, I'm sure that made everyone so, feel way <laughs> better about it. Um, I'm sure she probably called him like a bugger or something. <laughs> uh, but, no, she's all into reggae. She probably called him like a bumba clot. Yeah, so speaking of reggae, she made uh, in 2005 uh, this reggae album, Throw Down Your Arms, uh, and it was produced by Sly and Robbie legendary reggae production crew and uh i guess she went on tour with them and says that she had a wonderful romantic relationship with bassist robbie shakespeare she said that the tour bus they had a huge bed in the back of the bus and they her and robbie were just banging all the time i bet it smelled great in there <laughs> uh but this is not something that i can expect is a good uh, starting point like for if you're trying to get into her music again I think the first album Line of the Cobra is great but I've uh, drank the Kool-Aid to the point where <laughs> I think that her reggae album is great fuck me dude <laughs> uh, but it is absolutely like it sounds like Irish Celtic traditional folk on top and then low bong smoking reggae drums and bass <laughs> dub production on the low end oh my god which could sound like possibly the most cringy combination of styles on paper i don't care yeah i'm all no, about you, you love her i'm i'm all in. i don't hate her um but yeah so then as of more recent she's kind of been in the news for a couple sort of tabloidy-esque dump things uh i think it was like 2016 there was like a facebook right. situation uh where she basically she released an album like 2012 or 14 but people like sort of hadn't heard from her for a minute and she basically was just like 
doing one of these videos where she's just like, I'm not okay. And like, I want to like, I think she said she was like saying like had suicidal ideation. Jesus. Um, and well, also, I mean, she, she had this thing. Cause didn't she join, like, didn't she become a priest? Uh, yeah, she became like a priest. She also became, I think she's Islamic now. I think she's wow. like converted to, she's like a Muslim. Just all over the place. Yeah. Yes. Um, she also has said that she has like multiple personality or like a bipolar disorder. Yeah. One is a reggae guy. One is a rapper. <laughs> yeah. One is a Muslim. One is a priest. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and that actually, like led... Sinead O'Connor walking into a bar is, uh, like it's is all the, the walking into a, a bar jokes. <laughs> like, cause you don't need anyone else. Cause she's just all those things, Yeah, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, this, uh, Facebook video meltdown rant actually led her into the arms of Dr. Phil. Um, Oy. and basically, and she talks about this in the book and it's very weird because she was just like the way she describes it. She was just like when Dr. Phil reached out, she was just felt that he was going to help her. And I'm like, what? This is like Dr. Phil. Like she, she put a lot of faith into him. He's like, a doctor. He's He'll like, fix me. <laughs> he's he's a he's like a exploitative. Like, he worked wonders with Cash Me Outside, girl. Yeah, like he's like tabloid trash kind of doctor. Yeah, but no, absolutely. He, like, he took her to a rehabilitation center, and I guess at some point during it, she said she wanted to leave at like three in the morning and made this huge scene. But doctor, she'd already like signed the rights to like have it all be filmed for Doctor Phil's show. So it made her seem really crazy. It wasn't a good look. Yeah. Um, uh, also, I, I, what year was that? Do you know? I think this was in like 2016 or 17. Okay, because I know in 2013, she like started beef with Miley Cyrus. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, in an open letter uh, regarding the Wrecking Ball video saying like, you don't need to wear clothes like that. Like, you know, and like also like that was just a crazy time for Miley Cyrus. So like a lot of people had an opinion on uh, what, she, what she was doing, you know, with all the, right. the tongue sticking out and the, the tongue sticking out, the twerking with Robin Thicke oy, and the oy, Wrecking oy. Ball. Yeah. She got a lot of controversy and and Shanae's uh, because basically it seems like there are a couple different ways to generate controversy. You can be very outspoken with your political views and say something that might be a little uncomfortable for a mass audience to hear. Or you can also be extremely sexual. And, I, you know, Madonna and Miley, like th those were definitely their means of kind of generating controversy was being right. super sexual. That wasn't really Shanae O'Connor's way. And so she basically told wrote like these open letters to Miley being like the industry is making you a prostitute. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. And you know, uh, she actually, I mean, yeah, like you said, there was more than just one open letter. Uh, we talked about her being ordained as a priest. She was actually a priest for the, uh, in the Irish Orthodox Catholic church, which is independent from like the actual Catholic church as, as you yeah. think. Mm -hmm. Um, but in 2018, she wrote an open letter to Pope Francis asking to be excommunicated. Right. And then she subsequently, um, Converted to Islam and changed her name, but should uh, should yeah yeah good luck good luck with that Sadakat. yeah Sh uh, Shahuda but, Sadakat yeah something I don't know yeah I guess that's kind of like uh, Cat Stevens when, right uh, was it right Yusuf 
Yusuf Islam, right? Is that what his name? Can you just say Islam? That'd just be like, I'm is like, that was that it? We're, we're fucking. R- we are fucking up this cat. Like, I'm Q-Z. Ryan Christian. Yeah, <laughs> Parks Jewish. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, like ultimately, she did have her Yusuf Islam. It, yeah, yeah. He just went for it. Yeah, he just went for it. Um, uh, but yeah, ultimately she did like kind of really have, I would say have some validation uh, when it comes to the, the scandals and, and the whole controversy, the Pope ripping up, because like I said, now we live in a world that is post Catholic church scandals. And so the idea that someone who ripped, like made an anti-Pope kind of statement would get so much hate right it, it, it's unfathomable to us because we live in that era where now we know that there was this widespread uh cover-up of just really and she was shining a light abuses. on it you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of hannibal burris talking about bill cosby oh, before yeah. anyone else right, did right. publicly yeah. and like that kind of starting some shit but then it comes out that it's the truth and then it's like you look at that person as the one that you know was kind of the uh the the flagship <laughs> you know the, yeah. the the whistleblower on, on all that kind of shit um but yeah no i mean she's still around i don't think she doesn't perform anymore does she well so she um she released this book in 2021 uh and she was going to then do like a comeback tour uh in 2022 last year uh and then she, she had a very very tragic death yeah, uh, in her family. Right, uh, her son died, and he committed suicide. Yeah, and he, I think he was um, one of her one of her four sons, but um, yeah. or four four children. But basically, again, just like ah, uh, like she can't catch a break. Like that's no. so devastating. Yeah, no, he was he was only seventeen years old too. When, yeah. when, when that happened, and uh, then she got placed on on suicide watch. Yeah, like it, it's a whole. It's a whole fucking fucked up goddamn thing. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, Shane. His name is Shane. And yeah, right. I, I, so like, honestly, if she does do a comeback tour, I'm like, okay, you're going. My ass is there. Like, yeah, I'm aware of a t shirt with a picture of the Pope uh, um, and I'm going to tear it off my body. But you know what? I did forget one pretty important story that I promised in this. Back in the 90s, in the peak, was her Prince story. Now, have you heard this story? No. So she, Basically, after the success of Nothing Compares to You in her mega, mega stardom era, um, she gets a phone call from Prince and he's like, hey, I'm Prince. Like, <laughs> I need to come see you. And she's like, OK. And then like she's like getting all excited, like maybe Prince wants to like congratulate <laughs> me because... I just made him millions of dollars and yeah. made his song a hit because actually that song he had tried to make a hit for another band and didn't work. Uh, Not that he's hurting for hits or anything. No, but um, so anyway, she, she tells this story and it's very much in the vein of like those Charlie Murphy Prince stories, but it's like a lot <laughs> scarier and weirder. But she gets picked up by a limo driver and she says that she's trying to like make small talk with the limo driver and he like it seems like scared to talk or say anything. She goes to Prince's house and he basically, it's just her and him like in his mansion. Right. And he just chastises her 
because he's like, I don't like, because she would like cuss a lot and just be kind of like vulgar oh, uh-huh. uh, and be very outspoken. And he was like, I don't like the way you speak. I don't like the way you cuss. And I Fuck guess basically you. was like, I think he was pissed that like this vulgar person, according to him, yeah. was like representing his music. And oh so he, my God. He came to like dude. personally chastise her. Then she says that he changed the subject and said, do you want to have a pillow fight? the fuck is this and she said sure but then, sure but then she said that he came down with some pillows and within a couple swings she realized that there was something hard in his pillow and that he was trying to like, like beat her hit her again it is really one of those like crazy stories what that, like, the fuck it you know it would be hard to like ever like substantiate like obviously prince has denied that this happened uh, and she has a she doesn't have a good relationship with the prince estate. And in fact, she had a documentary come out uh, last year as well, or two years ago. And the prince estate uh, barred her from including "Nothing Compares to You" in the documentary because they are not cool. Right? They're not cool because she's just going around telling this story that makes Prince seem like an absolute psycho. Which, again, if you listen to our artist formerly known as Prince episode, uh, he was a he fucking was psycho. He was starting to do some pretty bizarre out there shit in the '90s. Oh, wait till you wait till we do our Carmen Electra fucking episode. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, that's that's like all all the juicy stuff uh, with Sinead O'Connor. Uh, I got one more for you. Yeah. In 2016, she went to rehab for weed. It's that Rasta <laughs> shit. She's a Rasta Like You got a fucking... How much weed do you got to smoke to need to go to rehab? Enough to make an Irish folk reggae album. Yeah, or a rap about potato famine. I guess you're right. <laughs> Fuck, yeah. She had a problem. Uh, but anyway, y'all, like, again, this this is where I'm at with uh, Shanae. I thought her, her book was incredible. Really good book. I think she really is, like, again, like, the Line in the Cobra album said it a million times. I think it's truly, like, a great album. And so... I love this kind of dump because I think she has these sort of dumpy moments, but is truly an artist worth looking into deeper. I think her music's great. If you like the pure moods kind of vibe, it's kind of like pure moods that can also get angry when it feels like. Uh, so it's not always well, it's about, a pure mood. It's a pure, but it's always a pure mood. Yeah. She is all the pure moods, I will say. Yeah. And so, so you know, what does it all mean? I guess it means if you got something to say, and it's important to you, fucking say that shit. But just be prepared for what other people might have to say back. And I think that's the lesson that we learned. It's, you know, when you have a public platform and you want to use your powers for good, you're taking a huge risk. And while, you know, some could say it destroyed her career, Sinead would disagree with you. And I think that that makes her pretty cool. Yeah, I think ultimately she did say what she wanted to and then she accepted the backlash for it and was like fine yeah that's fuck cool it. if fuck i get it. to say what i want to say go fuck a reggae basis and smoke weed till i put myself in rehab <laughs> uh but i wish her the very best and i do i do think that now that this story is kind of coming out more and people are like no she wasn't just some crazy lunatic from the 90s like she actually was spot on about this stuff and people like I feel like the fans are like really ready for her to have a proper comeback. Obviously, still dealing with this tragedy of her son, but yeah, if she's on tour, 
you know I'll be there reporting for the dumps. Oh, hell yes, folks. With that being said, make sure you sign up to our Patreon, patreon.com slash culture dumps. You can get all kinds of exclusive bonus content. Also, uh, again, check out methsyndicate.com. See about uh, if we got any of those culture dump shirts left over. And follow us on Instagram at culture dumps. Send us an email if you'd like at culture dumps at gmail.com. I'm Ryan Lichten. I'm sitting here with Parks Miller. Keep on dumping.